0: Blog Talk Radio. 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and sometimes culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peacock, and you can probably hear again in my voice a uh, little bit. Actually, I'm going to adjust this microphone here. I'm, I'm hearing some sound. Ooh this let me let me turn this off for a second. i'm gonna do a little plugging one second give me a second. turn that off. Okay, the connections here were a little bit temperamental. I'm hoping I fix that. You can hear in my voice. I still am battling the sickness that I had last week during the show. And in order to avoid the outcome that I had last week, which was at the end, I had a coughing fit that I could not stop. Um, The mic is on now. You should be hearing me. Are you able to hear me, Tim? I'm hoping you can hear me. Let me know if you're hearing Okay. No? Tell me if you guys can can hear me out there. Hoping we're not having technical difficulties. Okay, excellent, excellent. I am hearing some weird sound from the... Oh, wow, the mic cord is like super temperamental. So I am sorry for that. I don't know what's going on exactly with it. Yeah, if I even just barely touch it, we're getting these horrible noises. So I'm going to try To just not touch it. I love uh, live radio. Okay, so like I said, live radio last week did not work out so well at the end when I was coughing, and so I'm going to go for just an hour today. Uh, I actually thought I wasn't going to have that much unique to say this week that hasn't already been said out there, and I don't know actually that I'm going to have something tremendously unique and profound, but that I was enough motivated to have a show and and talk to you guys today simply because of the Obama administration's treatment of the horrible jihadist incident in San Bernardino on Wednesday. And so if you saw the show title, it is Obama Administration Pledges Allegiance to Islam, Declares War on First and Second Amendments. And I'll talk about exactly what I mean by that in a minute. I feel like I have to give a disclaimer, though, when you start going into this kind of topic. This is not a show for somebody who wants to come in there and go, oh, yeah, all Muslims are bad. Let's just all go kill all Muslims. This is not your show. If you think that we need to go and kill or get rid of all people who call themselves Muslims, then this is not your show. Don't listen to this show. Turn it off. Go listen to somebody else's show. This is not what I'm talking about, but I do think that the Obama administration is going out of its way to avoid any criticism of Islam itself, okay? Apart from Muslims, people who call themselves Muslims, there is the ideology of Islam as I understand it, having read the Quran, as other people understand it, and if you are not allowed to criticize this ideology, part of which has inspired tremendous violence against the American people and against other innocent people throughout the world. That is a huge problem. And that is what we are seeing out of the Obama administration this week in a couple different ways. So um, we'll talk about that. But, you know, again, this idea, and, and you've seen it on social media out there, there are people who are basically saying, yeah, we should just go kill a whole bunch of Muslims and stuff. That is completely wrong and horrible. I haven't seen anyone act on this. You know, I haven't seen anybody act on that, thankfully, but this is not your show if that's what you're looking for. Um, the title is provocative, but it does not mean that if that's what you think it means. Uh, declaring war on the First and Second Amendments. Uh, the Second Amendment, you know for sure, but the First Amendment was a story that I just had come across my desk this morning, and it might surprise you as much as it surprised me. Fiona here in the chat room. By the way, welcome everyone who's joining me here in the chat room. I see uh, Tim Peck. Thank you. And Trevor, Fiona, John Kenny, Michael Wharton, Moe. Um, oh, bye. <laughs> Tim says bye? Seriously? Come on, Tim. Really? Oh, I hope not. I hope Tim is hanging out with us. Uh, I see Stuart kind of lurking over there as well. So thank you for joining me here today. Um, so go over to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. You can check out all the program notes for all the stories and things that I want to talk about today. What I did when I first got up is I went to the handy-dandy Los Angeles Times website, and you know I just wanted to find out what is the latest on the story. Uh, now they're finally saying today, San Bernardino massacre, massacre probed as terrorism FBI says. Earlier today, the headline was the headline that I have there on the program notes which is San Bernardino shooter pledged allegiance to an Islamic state leader on Facebook. Doesn't get much clearer than that, right? Um it says San Bernardino shooter, thank you Papa Bad. San San Bernardino shooter uh, Syed Farouk had contact with people from at least two terror organizations overseas, including the Nusra Front in Syria and Shabab in Somalia, a federal law enforcement official said Friday. The revelations came as the FBI formally announced it was investigating the shooting rampage as an act of terrorism. So see what they did? They let Obama come out there and give his speech where he can pretend that we don't know anything and then the news of what's really going on comes out on Friday when it's too late in the news cycle for anybody to hold Obama accountable for having said, oh, gosh, we don't really know what it is. Oh, it couldn't have been inspired by Islam. It's not Islamic terrorism. You know, of course, that couldn't happen under Obama's watch, right? Uh, but, yeah, now finally they're announcing this. It says Farouk and his wife, Tashfeen Malik, died in the police shootout on Wednesday. Good. Several hours after bursting into a holiday potluck, for the San Bernardino County Health Department and killing 14 people and they say as the investigation expands the law enforcement source said agents are trying to learn more about the couple's contacts in the US and overseas especially those in Pakistan which is where Malik was born and Farouk visited uh, one question is uh, quote did they have any weapons or terror training in Pakistan uh, the source describes some kind of contact between Farouk and people from the Nusra Front and Shabab. It's unclear what type of contact or with whom, they say. Witnesses and police have said Farouk, a county public health worker, had been at a holiday party but left, possibly after a disagreement with a coworker, and returned with Malik. Now, I mean, this whole idea that there's just some sort of little disagreement or dispute, and then they come back all armed and wearing body armor and, you know, with all these bombs and everything because it was a spontaneous disagreement. Of course, that's garbage. They had planned this. And he probably went in there doing something to provoke a disagreement, knowing that he was planning on doing this at a Christmas party. Okay, they say, well, that could be construed as workplace violence, the source said, noting that evidence and witness recollections suggest that they shot Farouk's supervisors first or... The source said that after they got away and were. Okay, this is very strange. I had a weird uh, message in my thing that I was disconnected. Yeah, you lost sound, it says. Okay, so where was I? so Malik, who is the wife pledged allegiance to an Islamic State leader in a Facebook posting, according to two federal law enforcement officials. Now, supposedly what she did is she then, she had took the post down. Yeah, you got me back now. That's right. Um, Someone said that I passed out. No. For some reason, blog Talk spontaneously disconnected me and reconnected me. And this is through Skype, so I'm not exactly sure how that occurred. Usually a Skype connection is fairly solid Tim says breathe I'm back yeah no I'm fine I'm fine and actually if I end up with some sort of real disconnection problem I will type for all you guys in the chat room I'll send out a tweet whatever to say look I'm okay I'm good I'm good because blog talk just sometimes has glitches Uh, and maybe it was a Skype glitch this time who knows so um anyway so Malik did declare allegiance to an Islamic State leader in a Facebook posting, and they were able to determine this even though I guess she had attempted to take it down. So that means that somehow the NSA is doing its job to at least get some of the information. Um, so these are some of the basic facts. There was an interesting twist on the story this morning. I saw a link out there to a story that was t- – and I actually saw – I went to the, st- the story and looked a little bit – but. The landlord of the apartment in which this couple lived with their six-month-old baby, can you believe you do this when you have a six-month-old baby? Um, and and you do it, and you kill the co-workers who gave you the baby shower. I mean, this is all the, the stuff that they did. Um, anyway, the landlord of the apartment apparently opened the door... I guess when asked by reporters, the, report, the the landlord tried to say, well, I didn't mean for all the reporters to go in there, but they just pushed their way in after I opened the door. So why did you open the door when you've got a swarm of reporters there? So they just all pushed their way into this apartment. As I hope and understand, the primary law enforcement investigation of the apartment was done, and maybe all the stuff that is really useful was removed from the apartment. The apartment looked rather, uh, you know, cluttered and and messy so it looked like a search had already been conducted there from the few pictures that I saw but if you want to go and take a look I did see one picture of something that looked like an Islamic prayer rug um, you know hanging on the wall or something so uh, maybe uh, maybe law enforcement just took a picture of that or maybe they didn't find it useful because it doesn't fit their narrative who knows Um, but as I understand they did already their investigation so hopefully the reporters are not messing anything up for uh, or impeding the law enforcement investigation um, but anyway those those are the basic facts and you know this is this idea that what happens with the media and then also with law some law enforcement some in the Obama administration to be sure is they delay telling us that the event, has any connection to Islamic terrorism for quite some time. And it's like they want the news to die down. They want most people who just hear about things once and don't actually follow up to try to figure out what the cause of it is or anything else, we just want them to be satisfied with it's the big bad guns that did it And we really don't know what the motive of these people might have been. Oh, it could have been workplace violence. We're still looking into it. And, you know, they want to have confidence in Obama, that Obama is looking into it and he's protecting us and he doesn't want to rush to judgment and this and that. And then they go about their day and forget. And then only later, and particularly today, like I said, the L.A. Times headline was changed today to finally say that they are investigating it as terrorism officially. The FBI is saying this only on a Friday in the afternoon. Fiona in the chat room says, yeah, whitewashing reality. So this is one way in which I see the Obama administration as pledging allegiance to Islam, so to speak, right? Because they do not want to give that press conference at a time where they don't have any kind of plausible deniability about being ignorant about who the people are or what the motive might have been because they do not want to help spread any information that might lead you to be critical of Islam. Right? They don't want to be part of that. Even though Islam is worthy of criticism, and it's true, not all Muslims take seriously the parts of Islam that are most disturbing to all of us. I mean, what do I care about Islam? I care about Islam only because there are people who, because of that religion, would like to kill me. That is the only reason I care about it. I don't want anything to do with it. I'd rather just live and let live, and you know, you can pursue your religion. I'm not religious myself, but um, that's fine, so long as you do not want to do me harm, so long as you do not want to destroy the protection of individual rights that we have here in America, whatever's left of it. Uh, so long as you don't want to do those things, I'm fine. But I'd rather just let you live your life and I live my life. I don't really have to do that much with you if I don't want to. Um, And we can live peacefully. That's fine. Uh, Maybe, you know, for certain Muslims, we can even be friends from a little bit of a distance, maybe. Who knows? Uh, But we're not going to have all of that in common because I have a very different ideology than you do. Um, But why do we care? We only care because there are a significant number, a significant minority of people who adhere to this religion, who adhere to it to such an extent that they take seriously the passages in the Quran that tell them to kill the infidels wherever they find them, and that that's morally justified, and in fact it's worthy of praise, and it's going to get them 72 virgins or or whatever Um, Trevor in the chat room says if not for terrorism, I would think about Islam the same amount I think about Buddha yeah, actually, I'd probably think of Islam a little bit less because at least Buddha has some kind of quirky, fun stuff about it, right? That you could sort of look at and say, "Oh, that—that that, you know, taken out of context, that sounds kind of cool." I've read the Quran from cover to cover, and it is boring and silly in places too. Uh, my favorite part of the Quran that I like to quote is um, there's this part where apparently Muhammad was getting sick of kind of rude house guests who would come to dinner and and be rude. So, and I'm going to paraphrase, and it's been a while since I've tried paraphrasing this, so it's not going to be very accurate. But essentially, you know, the Quran is supposed to be the word of Allah. So here's Allah talking about what you, the followers of Islam, are supposed to do with respect to the Prophet Muhammad. Um, It says something like, you should not um, go, like suppose you're invited to dinner at the Prophet Muhammad's house, right? You should not go early unless you have been given leave. So, you know, unless you've been given permission to arrive early, you shouldn't arrive early. And then it was, and then, you know, when you're at the dinner, make sure you don't stay too long, you know, kind of stay longer than your invitation warrants, because if you do, you will annoy the prophet. And the prophet won't tell you that you annoy him, but I, Allah, will tell you, that you annoy the prophet if you overstay your welcome. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, you know, can you can imagine that Muhammad himself did this? And it's like, oh, yeah, that was Allah. Allah said that. It wasn't me, I promise. I, I You know, you don't annoy me. <laughs> Craig in the chat room says, I could not get through the whole thing. It was so boring and silly. See, I assigned myself. I, I uh, led this little reading group through it. And so we have to read this from cover to cover because you just want to know what it is that is inspiring some people to actually want to kill you. This is um serious stuff. I wish that all of our politicians in Washington read the Quran from cover to cover and got their eyes open. We know that some of them seem to know what's going on, but a lot of them don't. But my only my only broader point is is that Obama is timing press conferences after jihad attacks in order to have that plausible deniability, in order so that he is not going to spread via, you know, the all-watched presidential press conference, any information that you would use as a basis for criticizing Islam. In other words, it's a little small instance of a pledge of allegiance to Islam. And we've heard Obama pledge allegiance to the, the religion in kind of other ways. You know, the future must not belong to those who criticize the prophet or something like that, right? Um, they gives in an international forum this speech. But this, this is something that he's been doing consistently. And, um, excuse me, I'm going to cough, or I'm going to take a sip of butter coffee. Let me see which it's going to be. Mm. So he did that this week. And... Um, That is just one way in which the administration... Now, the more disturbing way that the Obama administration is pledging allegiance to Islam comes from Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Uh, The news comes this morning. This was uh, news about a meeting that she attended yesterday. I have the spinning rainbow wheel of death in my Safari browser at the moment. And got other things going on here. I wonder if my internet connection is being sabotaged. Maybe you can't even hear me at this moment. Okay, here I go. I've got my website up again. Okay, so the second leak on the program notes is Loretta Lynch vows to prosecute those who use anti-Muslim speech that, quote, edges toward violence. And this is thanks to the Daily Wire. As I understand, this is shepherded by Ben Shapiro, who is an awesome guy, um, and he gives us this story. I still have the spinning rainbow wheel, and I can't scroll through it. Here we go. Okay, it says, the day after a horrific shooting spree by a radicalized Muslim man and his partner, that's Shapiro's terms, um, James Barrett actually writing for for the Daily Wire, uh, Attorney General Loretta Lynch pledged to a group of Muslim activists that she would take aggressive action against anyone who used, quote, anti-Muslim rhetoric that edges toward violence. Edges toward. Anti-Muslim rhetoric that edges toward violence. What exactly would that consist of? This is a very disturbing thing coming from someone who has the full power of the federal government, unlimited funds to go after people, Anti Muslim rhetoric edges toward violence. Not in sites, which is something that's very clear and would have a definition in the law that we could resort to, edges toward a very vague phrase that basically makes it seem that if you're criticizing Islam at all, that might be seen as something that is anti Muslim rhetoric that edges toward violence. I know that in some of the circles that I travel in that if you are a critic of Islam many people will try to paint you as anti-Muslim so who is it that's going to get prosecuted under this it is not clear and that means it is very dangerous towards the first amendment and it is another way in which we see the Obama administration you know who's responsible for lynch being there as Pledging allegiance toward Islam, because anyone who is a critic of Islam is potentially nervous about this anti-Muslim rhetoric that edges toward violence. Now, listen to this. I mean, you know, suppose you say, okay, she can try this. But we thankfully in our Supreme Court today have a strong record of upholding the First Amendment, um, at least with regard to political and other kinds of speech. And so chances are that even if there was a legal battle, you would win. But the threat of litigation where the person who's going to be prosecuting you, actually not just litigation, prosecuting, right? This is criminal prosecution. And it's criminal prosecution where you've got the full resources of the federal government going against you. <laughs> In the chat room, Mo says, careful, Amy, you're edging towards violence. Um, I, I, <laughs> what does it mean to edge towards violence? It, that is not incite violence. What, edge toward? Edge toward from a great distance? And so you edge slightly toward it from far, far away, nowhere near incitement? You're edging toward. It, it's just nonsense. Uh, continue with the article. Speaking to the audience at the Muslim Advocates' 10th anniversary dinner Thursday, Lynch said that her, quote, greatest fear is the incredibly disturbing rise of anti Muslim rhetoric in America. And she vowed to prosecute any guilty of what she deemed violence inspiring speech and this is a quote from lynch she says the fear that you have just mentioned is in fact my greatest fear as a prosecutor as someone who is sworn to the protection of all the american people which is that the rhetoric will be accompanied by acts of violence my message to not just the muslim community but to the entire american community is we cannot give into the fear that these backlashes are really based on. So, the first concern, whenever there's any one of these jihadist incidents, is there's going to be a backlash against Muslims. And I have yet to see, maybe you saw a little bit after 9-11, which is such a huge and horrific attack, unprecedented I have not seen this backlash, this feared backlash. Um, there's been all kinds of activity out on Twitter. People saying very clever things, like the people who are the victims of this backlash, they seem a lot healthier and a lot less dead than the victims of the other, that kind of thing. Um, my contribution, which I sent out there today, by the way, if you don't follow me on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. Um, here's my contribution. I say yes, A.G. Lynch, you know, Attorney General Lynch, anti-Muslim rhetoric, could lead to violence, but the cause of that rhetoric is the violence incited by Islamic rhetoric. Islamic rhetoric is already inciting violence, that's my point. Um, Islamic rhetoric is out there, it is inciting violence. Just the day before she's speaking here, 14 Americans were killed and another, I think, 16 or 18 were injured by these two jihadists who were incited. We have had several jihadist attacks on our soil, a few within the last year. And here she is, her biggest fear, her biggest fear is the anti-Muslim rhetoric, which as far as I know has not resulted in any deaths in this country for years at least. I know that there were a couple of misunderstandings right around 9-11 where some people... Now I understand, and I, I acknowledge in this tweet even, you know, again, 140 characters, but you do have to acknowledge... That there is anti-Muslim rhetoric out there and that some of it could lead to violence and that is not good. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying that in the grand scheme of things, the bigger danger is the Islamic rhetoric that already is proven to have incited violence on a tremendous scale in our country. Yeah, so Jesse in the chat room. Welcome, Jesse. I don't know if I've seen you here before. Says, We cannot defend ourselves with words or weapons. What a mess. Yes, exactly. Because one thing that we need to be able to do is speak out, at least, against this enemy. Uh, the second thing we need to do is we need to be able to defend ourselves against this enemy. By the way, if you want to call in and you want to give my voice a rest, you are welcome to do so. The number is 760. 760- Again, that's 760- 888-5817. Francis in the chat room says, the Quran itself incites Muslims to violence. Check out Surah 9, verses 5 and 29. Yes, it does. And and, uh, Cal Living, welcome. Another first-time listener. So glad to have you guys here. Um, If you weren't here at the very beginning, I'm just making it clear, not that I don't want more listeners. I want more listeners. But if You have the idea that we should go after all Muslims, that somehow all Muslims deserve to be targeted or harassed or anything else, or any violence, you know, deserving of any violent retribution. That is not about this show. Obviously, we want to go after the jihadists. We need to have our administration doing its job against ISIS. They need to destroy ISIS and these other terrorist organizations that are inspiring people here in the United States to follow suit. And target infidels so um, obviously I'm for that but if you know the average Muslim here in the United States is far superior to any of these people and does not wish us harm does not wish to change our society actually is part of the American society I think they're living with a contradiction because they're trying to adhere to the Islamic religion and at the same time um, enjoy the pursuit of happiness that we have a right to here in the United States. I think those are contradictory. I do not think that actually consistently on any religion, but certainly not Islam, can you uphold the right to the pursuit of happiness. But some people try, and they live compartmentalized lives as religious people, and I say, okay, that's fine, live and let live. But if the idea is that we cannot criticize Islam in this country anymore, and that if we criticize Islam, it might be seen as anti-Muslim rhetoric edging toward violence, that would be bad. Um, If you are inciting violence against a group, okay, fine. That is worthy of uh, prosecution. But you need to actually have the suspects satisfy the actual legal elements of incitement to violence. And there is no way that mere anti-Muslim rhetoric that, quote, edges toward violence is going to satisfy the more rigorous criteria of actual incitement. Um, Continuing again with the article over at the Daily Wire, she says, uh, assuring the Muslim group that, quote, we stand with you, Lynch said she would use her Justice Department to protect Muslims from violence and discrimination. Now, why is she going to pay special attention to discrimination? Think about this. Not yesterday, two days ago, a number of people were shot dead by their co-worker. Would you not be tempted to discriminate? Excuse me, I'm going to cough again. This is not good. I'm going to take a sip of buttered coffee. Would you not be tempted to discriminate against Muslims in this climate? And so I think that, of course, she's already forecasting that that would be the case. There are plenty of laws on the books that prevent businesses who have employees above a certain number from discriminating against people on the basis of their religion. And so she would be ready to come in and make sure that doesn't happen. Because how dare you, you know, decide that maybe, I mean, think about this. This uh, woman, Malik or whatever, the 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 female, the, the wife who was the jihadist the other day, she had been screened completely by the FBI and still she slipped through the cracks. So... You may be an employer who does really thorough background checks on your employees, but do you think you have the resources at your disposal that are better than the FBI? Now, maybe you would be more thorough in certain ways because maybe under Obama, the FBI is not allowed to investigate in certain ways. But myself, I would think that the FBI has tremendous, awesome resources. And if somebody slips through the cracks and passes a background check from them and then becomes a jihadist, that gives you reason to pause as to whether you could do an adequate background check of a prospective employee yourself. But nonetheless, what are you supposed to do? No, nope, you're not supposed to discriminate. You're just supposed to trust because it would be anti-American for you to discriminate against someone who uh who is Muslim. That would be and of course, you know, what do they do today? They they do the package deal. They package religion with an ethnicity which sounds like racism so it's racism you know that's really bad we all know that's bad Lynch says that the Constitution does not quote protect actions predicated on violent talk End quote what does this mean she is not speaking in standard legalese actions predicated on violent talk Um, The Constitution does not protect violent actions, but some actions predicated on violent talk are perfectly legal. So what in the world is she talking about? I don't know if she knows. Uh, This is more from Lynch, quote, when we talk about the First Amendment, we must make it clear that actions predicated on violent talk are not American, end quote. They are not who we are. They are not what we do, and they will be prosecuted, end quote. She's not explaining exactly what she means. She's tr- being deliberately vague so that you're scared out of criticizing Islam, so that you're scared out of expressing any reticence, any inability to trust Muslims after a violent incident like this. Um, you should not be expressing these things because who knows, you might run afoul of her you know, vague phraseology here edging towards violence, uh, actions predicated on violent talk. I mean, what is this? Um, I mean, an action predicated on violent talk, there's violent talk that is Islamic rhetoric. And an action predicated on that might be to go protest a mosque. So technically, it's an action. What does she mean, right? But you're supposed to be intimidated, and you're supposed to be particularly intimidated when she tells you that this thing that you don't quite know what it means is not American, you should feel really bad because I, the Attorney General of the United States, am declaring some sort of vague cloud of actions that I'm not going to tell you what it really is. I'm declaring it un-American so that you will feel intimidated, so that you will censor yourself going forward. Cal Living uh, asks, are they willing to live and let live as you stated, Amy? Many of them are. Um And then the question is, are we adequately investigating, screening, and keeping out those who aren't? Um, Oh, you said you have family members who were in the building when it was attacked. Well, I'm very glad that your family members are okay, but that is terrifying. And nobody should have to go through this. I admit that, I mean, admit, there's no admitting. I agree that this is uh, the default. Of our leaders they are not protecting us and in fact what did Obama do he used this as another opportunity to blame guns to make another push for gun control as if preventing people from acquiring arms legally is going to prevent this sort of thing I mean these people had more than just guns they had all sorts of pipe bombs and IEDs and all this other stuff as well You are not going to prevent a jihadist attack by passing more gun laws. And in fact, you are potentially going to prevent jihadist attacks by letting people know, letting the potential jihadists know that wherever they go, there might be somebody armed. There might be somebody with a concealed carry weapon who is going to defeat all your plans of mass slaughter and not let you, you know, kind of carry out whatever your sick fantasy was. So, again, this is the second way that the Obama administration is pledging allegiance to Islam where you've got Lynch vowing to prosecute people based on very vague criteria so that those of us who would criticize Islam and who would point to Islam as something that has inspired some of these people to come after us and to kill us, um, you know, she wants to silence you. She does not want criticism of Islam to be flown out there freely. She wants you to feel intimidated like you are somehow anti-American if you do this. And that is just not the way. I mean, blasphemy, as everybody knows, which would be any sort of criticism of religion or saying things that's offensive to people who are religious, it has a strong tradition here in the United States. She's the one who's un-American for calling for this, not us. So do not feel intimidated. Um, Yeah, it it might be that the government does come after you, and it is true that they have tremendous resources, but we are in the world of crowdfunding, so if somebody does get prosecuted under this idea that they have anti-Muslim rhetoric that edges toward violence, I have all confidence that freedom-loving individuals would donate to help defend such a person, so... um, Uh, Jesse in the chat room says, to bolster my point here, gun violence declining except in gun-free zones. Yes. Obviously, the gun-free zones are places where they feel free. They can go in there and, you know, have their body armor and tremendously, you know, huge weapons and arsenals and tons and tons of ammunition and be virtually unfettered. Michael in the chat room says it cannot be repeated enough. There is no such thing as a right to be protected from being offended. Exactly. Uh, Cal Living says you have to remember that Islam is considered a religion as well as their government, which they want America to convert. To, they want America to convert to Islam, which America is separating religion and government. The two will never exist together. I agree that people who take Islam seriously are going to naturally push for Sharia. But I also think there are a significant number of Muslims, at least self-titled Muslims, in this country. You may think that they're not real Muslims, whatever. You could have that debate another day. But there are people who call themselves Muslims and love it here. I heard of, for example, you remember the little scandal that's been going on this week about, um, you know, was Trump lying that... Thousands of Muslims cheered after 9 11 in Patterson, New Jersey. Now it looks, it sounds more like there might have been hundreds or dozens or whatever, but there were Muslims who cheered in Patterson, New Jersey. And I've heard stories about other Muslims, didn't live in Patterson, live someplace close by, who wanted to go over to Patterson and beat up those Muslims who were cheering on 9 11. Why? Because even though they call themselves Muslims, they love America. They know the opportunity that we have here when the right to the pursuit of happiness is protected. So, I don't. I don't share that view, and that's why you know I said at the very beginning of the show, maybe my show isn't for you because I'm not going to condemn all Muslims. Uh, Tim in the chat room asks, are there non-Islamic Muslims? I mean, we we could talk about the terminology issue all day, but what we do know is that there is some subset of people who call themselves Muslims who actually pose a threat to us and there is some so, there's a, a vast majority i think who do not now there are also a number in the majority who kind of silently are sort of sympathetic with the minority who are doing the bad stuff but they won't themselves do anything or say anything one way or the other these people simply don't matter and you just ignore you know my point is is that our government is not doing an adequate job keeping out screening Um, getting rid of the inspiration for the minority that would do us harm. They need to destroy ISIS, first of all. They need to make it seem that if you choose to be a jihadist, you will not succeed, you will not have a good life. And right now ISIS is trying to make it seem like it's all, you know, I would say rainbows and puppy dogs, but they don't like dogs. (sighs) It's not consistent with their religion. Um, So Lynch is vowing to prosecute. And, you know, one of the things they do, they need to do their job. But not only won't they do their job, they want to disarm us. And as somebody was mentioning here in the chat room, I think it was Michael, they're disarming us intellectually. We're not allowed to speak our mind and criticize this ideology that is inspiring these people to go after us. And the other thing is they want to make it so that we cannot physically defend ourselves. They have the effrontery to use a situation like this in which you have unarmed, innocent civilians being shot up by bad guys to say, okay, you law-abiding citizens, you need to give up your guns or have less access to guns. Why? Because poof, magic formula, somehow we're going to make it appear that these bad guys are not going to have as easy access to guns and they're not going to get it to you. Jihadists will find ways to get weapons. Jihad is the problem in a situation like this. If you took out jihad-inspired attacks, I'm wondering how many of these there really are. Obviously, Colorado, Colorado Springs at Planned Parenthood uh, was an exception. You had, uh, you know, an incident there that was a real incident of a mass shooting, and we could talk about, you know, access to weapons for you know, people who have mental health issues and all those types of stuff. But that is not what was going on here. This is war, and our president is not fighting a proper war. It's due in part to George W. Bush, his predecessor, who after 9-11 rushed to declare Islam means peace. So again, you know, our former president, not just the Obama administration, the Bush administration also pledged allegiance to Islam right after 9-11. And many of us did find that offensive, but I don't think enough Americans – found that offensive. Again, blasphemy is a huge part of the American tradition. And right now we need some good old fashioned blasphemy if we are going to look at critically this religion who is, you know, this religion that is inspiring some of these people to go after us. So let's go on to the the gun control piece though. Um one, one thing that is helpful if you are you know, kind of worried about this mass shootings thing. There's a New York Times article. Again, New York Times is surprisingly good in certain ways lately. Rob Abiera sent this on to me, so thanks, Rob. The headline is, and this was published yesterday, the headline is, how many mass shootings are there really? And it is written by Mark Fullman, who I understand is part of Mother Jones. I think that's what Rob said. But it says, on Wednesday, a Washington Post article announced that the San Bernardino shooting is the second mass shooting in the single day today and the 355th this year, end quote. So, Washington Post, 355th mass shooting this year. And the question is, is that really true, right? Um, Vox, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow, This Newspaper, and others reported similar statistics says, grim details from the church in Charleston, a college classroom in Oregon, and a Planned Parenthood clinic in Colorado are still fresh, but you could be forgiven for wondering how you missed more than 300 other such attacks in 2015. Uh, he says, at Mother Jones, where I work as an editor, we have compiled an in-depth open source database covering more than three decades of public mass shootings. He says, by our measure, there have been four mass shootings this year, including the one in San Bernardino, and at least 73 such, such attacks since 1982. And he asks, what explains the vastly different count? The answer is that there is no official definition for mass shooting. Almost all of the gun crimes behind the much larger statistic are less lethal and bear little relevance to the type of public mass murder we have just witnessed again. Including them in the same breath suggests that a 1 a.m. gang fight in Sacramento restaurant in which two were killed and two injured is the same kind of event as a deranged man walking into a community college classroom and massacring nine and injuring nine others. Or that a late night shooting on a street in Savannah, Georgia yesterday that injured three and killed one is in the same category as the madness that just played out in Southern California. He says, while all the victims are important, conflating those many other crimes with indiscriminate slaughter in public, that's what he's saying is a mass shooting, indiscriminate slaughter in public, he says this: if you conflate those, it obscures our understanding of this complicated and growing problem. Everyone is desperate to know why these attacks happen and how we might stop them, and we can't know unless we collect and focus on useful data that filter out the noise. And then, this is the most interesting thing, because he, he goes into why it is that you've conflated these things, you've com- conflated these other events that have nothing to do with the idea of indiscriminate slaughter in, in uh, public uh, with the actual mass shootings. And then you get this number like 355. It turns out it comes from the Obama administration. comes from the Obama administration. It says, in 2013, a mandate from President Obama for further study of the problem of mass shootings lowered the threshold for, you know, the, the death toll that would make it qualify as a mass shooting from four victims, four or more, to three victims. And when he did that, then suddenly a whole bunch of more shootings qualify as mass shootings. Um, Rob says that Breitbart has also picked up on the piece that's in the New York Times. That's excellent to see. I definitely put it out there. Um, But what he wants to do, he said at Mother Jones, he says what we want to do with the narrow parameters is better understand the seemingly indiscriminate attacks that have increased in recent years, whether in movie theaters, elementary schools, or office parks. So many of those you could explain by gun-free zones. What I would love to do is see where you don't have a gun-free zone and where you don't have jihad, and then what are the statistics that are left. But leave it to the Obama administration to redefine for the federal government's purposes what a mass shooting is so it appears like there's more of them, so that you have more reason to push for gun control and legally disarm victims. Tim uh, points out here in the chat room as well something helpful, which is that if a mass public shooting is prevented, it's not a mass public shooting and thus not recorded. And that would be interesting too, that we need to keep track of attempts as well. Attempts. Definitely would be helpful. Um, So, you know, why are we being pushed to be disarmed all the time? Obama's making all this out of the statistics. The other uh, horrific thing that Obama has been saying recently and and I can't even believe he's been able to say it with any kind of a straight face is he's going out there making these comments that stuff like this happens only in the United States and I'm thinking what happened in Paris on the night of November 13th and are we all forgetting that or is Obama conveniently forgetting that I'm feeling like Obama's living in an echo chamber Maybe he's on something. I don't know what it is, but how can you go out there and say with a straight face that shootings on this scale really happen only in the United States? It's not true, and, you know, quite obviously it happened in in Paris recently, so it was inexcusable for him to do that. Another sip of butter coffee. Thanks to all of you who donate to the Buttered Coffee Fund if you want to throw in a little. I've got the donate button on the top right-hand side of the blog at don'tletitgo.com. And uh, I love drinking this stuff. Okay, so here's some good news. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is doing better and better in the polls all the time. New York Times this week, actually I didn't put it the link in the program notes, but one guy from the New York Times came out. He says, anybody but Ted Cruz. Anybody but Ted Cruz. He wants anyone except Ted Cruz. as the best endorsement ever because why don't they want him? They know that he is going to, and I'll use the word disrupt, which bothers me normally, but he is going to disrupt so much of the status quo in Washington, D.C. in such a good way that all these people who love statism are really scared. Uh, it's great to see how scared they are. Uh, I've got this piece from Breitbart exclusive. Ted Cruz reacts to San Bernardino, and this is what he says. He says, now, more than ever, Americans must be armed. Cruz is not going to be intimidated. He is not going to have this idea of, oh, my gosh, maybe we do need to make a little compromise and, you know, let's make it a little harder to acquire semi-automatic semi-autom- weapons, which no one really understands properly anyway. Uh, Everybody thinks like huge assault rifles whenever you say semi-automatic, and that's not necessarily true. Um, But on December 3rd, Breitbart News says spoke with Senator Ted Cruz about the Democrats' attempts to use the San Bernardino attacks as an impetus for gun control. And his counterposition that the attack actually shows why now, more than ever, the Second Amendment must be defended and the American people must be armed. Here is a quote from Cruz. He says, unfortunately, the goal of both President Obama and Hillary Clinton is to consistently, at every turn, look to weaken the constitutional rights of American citizens, and in particular, to undermine our constitutional right to keep and bear arms. And this is what I, when I love Cruz. He says, you don't get rid of the bad guys by getting rid of our guns. You get rid of the bad guys by using our guns. He says, and rather than respond to radical Islam and terrorism with a commitment from the president to keep this nation safe, to kill the terrorists, instead Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton refused to even utter the words radical Islamic terrorism. Now, every time Cruz says that, it's starting to sound sort of like campaign rhetoric, but it really is true. The extent to which the Obama administration and many of the Democrats have In effect, pledged allegiance to Islam by not even saying the words radical Islamic terrorism, which is a kind of a watered-down terminology. Why not just say jihadism or Islamic terrorism? Just forget radical. Terrorism is radical itself. Why, you know, Islamic terrorism, why not just use that? So this is a watered-down term, and they won't even use that term. It does say something. It really does. Uh, More from Cruz. He says, The gun control push illustrates the misguided priorities of President Obama and Hillary Clinton. They refuse to stand up and do what is necessary to defeat radical Islamic terrorism, to defeat ISIS, to prevent Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons. Instead they remain obsessed with disarming the American citizenry, of stripping us of our fundamental right to protect our homes, our lives, and our families. Now, he's got some unlikely bedfellows in saying this. I swear I saw this morning, again, I don't have it in the program notes, but you could go find it. I think that Sam Harris has actually come out, and maybe somebody in the chat room can verify this for me, that Sam Harris has actually come out and said that having a weapon for self-defense is a good thing. What I do know is that Sam Harris's friend and you know person that he's appeared on the show of, Bill Maher, that Bill Maher, after the Paris attack, Came out and said, Well, you know, at least if they had a weapon there, those who were attacked in Paris, they would have had a fighting chance. Some people on the left concede the fact that having weapons in the hands of good people makes it less likely that the weapons in the hands of the bad people can do very much damage. And every responsible politician in this country should recognize this, but I'm sure that nobody is out there saying it as strongly or in as principled a fashion as Ted Cruz is. And that is why, given the context, I, I like him so much. Uh, I've got a, I've got a few more stories. That's pretty much what I've got on the actual attack. Something that's related, though, uh, sympathy for so-called clock boy Ahmed Mohammed is waning. I, I, I think maybe you also heard the story that has really been the reason why no one's very sympathetic with him anymore. Remember, he was offered a scholarship at MIT, and he decided that he was going to go ahead and accept a scholarship for a, uh, it's the Qatar Foundation. Uh, It's an organization with reputed ties to the Muslim Brotherhood. So as long as he moved to Qatar, then he would have a full scholarship for a full college education there. And he decided to accept that over a scholarship at MIT. Then... He decides, you know, I, I don't know who's puffing him up this way, that he thinks that, you know, he's going to get this. But he says uh, he's he's entitled to $15 million from the city of Irving, Texas. And why, you know, he was discriminated against. He was treated so badly. He was traumatized. Of course, in every picture you see him, it looks like he's smiling and really happy. Uh Clock med what a putt, says State Defiance here in the chat room. We missed you. It's good to see you back. Um But yeah, you know, so he he's demanding fifteen million dollars, and I think most people have rightfully laughed at him. And now the headline over at Breitbart says that he's actually homesick in Qatar and he wants to come back to Texas, but you know, he's just concerned that everything's just a little bit too crazy. Some people were protesting outside a mosque, and that's not very friendly and warm and opening, but he really knows, he knows that life in the United States is superior to life in Qatar, and uh, maybe he realizes that the stuff that his parents are pushing him to do, which I think is going on there, parents and older sister pushing him to say certain things, take certain positions, maybe even push him into the prank. Maybe it's not the way he really wanted to go. He's learning the hard way. Trevor says, can I get clock med on the no-fly list? Wouldn't that be good, right? State Defiance says, we don't want him back in Texas. Send him to New York. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, I I think uh, de Blasio would give him a hero's welcome and probably give him an internship or something, right? (sighs) Fiona says, he made his bed, he lays in it. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree there. So, yeah, um, no, not much sympathy for him. And there's less sympathy for him after we see more attacks by Islamic terrorists. Jobs numbers came out this week. Apparently, there were enough jobs added in the last month so that Yellen, who's the head of the Fed, is probably going to feel emboldened and think that they can inch the interest rate, you know, the key interest rate up just a little bit in the next couple of weeks or so. But if you, you know, go to the right place, you see that really only – there's been only a slight improvement in the labor force participation rate, which has been at an all-time low for months and months, maybe years, right, 30-some-odd – not all-time low, but I think 38-year low or something. So it's it's, it's improved slightly from a 38-year low, but only to the tune of 100,000 jobs or something, 100,000 people and that's on a scale of 94-some-odd million. So it's it's just a very slight improvement. It could be seasonal as well. Why you would use seasonal job rates as a reason to increase the interest rates? Again, if you're on the premise that you don't want to you know, destroy your little balance. I think these low interest rates are terrible in the first place. But now that we're here, you have this idea that the economy is now strong enough because of one jobs report that might be improving, you know, might be reporting only seasonal numbers. I don't I don't think so. Um, so that's just kind of keeping you informed there. Uh, in other news, Senate has approved a bill repealing much of Obamacare Go ahead and read if you want to read all the provisions. It doesn't repeal it in its entirety, but it, it repeals a whole lot of it, including the Medicaid expansion, right, the Medicaid expansion under Obamacare. But if you actually read this story, this is from The Hill, you see a number of lawmakers, and they are bemoaning the fact all of these people who got the Medicaid expansion are now going to be thrown off of Medicaid and how horrible it is. So imagine that there's people who are sympathetic with repealing Obamacare and they're already reticent about rolling back any entitlements that have been given out under Obamacare. It just shows you how quickly and how easily an entitlement program can get entrenched. Now, of course, this Senate bill has to be passed by the House. And even when it is, it's going to go to Obama's desk and he's going to have to veto it. It's good to make him veto it. It's good to make him have to actually see that and veto it. He's going to maybe try to veto it at a distance and not really use a pen or whatever he's going to do. But it, it's good. It's good to make him face that. But it's it's not going to help us now. I think what it do it does show is it shows the political readiness to repeal most of it, at least, that there's already a coalition that would do it with the right president. Uh, there's one more piece I wanted to show you, and go ahead and go check it out and read it for yourself because I'm not going to have time to do it justice. It is Alex Epstein's response to Mark Zuckerberg's letter to his daughter. And Epstein talks about the fact that in in all the words that he put, you know, 2,000 and some odd words, he never said that freedom was one of his core values. And yet all of the values that he says he wants to defend are a result of freedom And that the much bolder thing to do would not be to give away all this money, but to actually use the money in the service of fighting for freedom, fighting against the statist governments that cause all the poverty and horrible conditions that Zuckerberg would like to cure. Why not go to the source? So check out Alex Epstein's piece. It's really good. Go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com and feel free to leave comments and continue the discussion about this day's show. Uh, the other thing is, follow me on social media, Facebook, and also Amy Peacock on Twitter. So have a good weekend, everyone. And I will uh, talk to you one week from today. Take care. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>